try to say something that's fitting tonight. Um, this is the third, third evening, third day. <laughs> what are we on? Third day? It's the third day. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Great. Shows where I'm at. And uh, those of you who've been on retreats, you know the, the third day. The truth that the dark night of the soul is not just a Christian concept. <laughs> this is where some of the um, the uh, pummelings of your life, which have left you numb, the numbness starts to fade out, and the some of the the pains start to sort of become more prominent. Uh, also, um, the good news is that having spent time in, in this particular uh, environment and container and using our intention, our integrity, just, you know, creating a lot of good karma with this, we're also establishing some very helpful means in ourselves, some helpful references, some ways of holding um, and digesting and assimilating, releasing, processing what comes up. Um, And hopefully becoming a little lighter and uh, steadier as the days go on. So, mindfulness of breathing and the topic of mindfulness naturally is always a pertinent one mindfulness is like a kind of remembering it's a it's a link it's a connector it keeps us in touch and it's relevance when we look at something like the meditation topic the breath example, then um, mindfulness is of breathing in and out, in and out breathing, anapanasati. So that's its, that's its, that's what it's, that's what it's staked to, that's what it's tied to, that's its kind of basic theme, in and out, as a, if you like, a kind of a, something that pins it to, to a particular point. Point is not um, fixed as such, it's a fixed reference to a, to an energetic process. So we're not particularly focusing on a point in the body, the nose or the abdomen. It's not mindfulness of the nose or mindfulness of the abdomen. Mindfulness of in and out. Yeah, so we're mindful of a particular rhythm. Mindfulness is posted at that rhythm this is, doesn't mean that it's completely wrong to, to, to locate that in your body but just to, to recognize that the mindfulness is based upon the rhythm of in and out breath uh, and how you how you experience that um, what I'm suggesting to, in terms of this retreat in terms of my own practice is that one does not confuse breathing with breath Um, one doesn't limit breathing to a particular uh, point in the body and that many of the um, cleansing and um, energizing effects that come from the rhythm of breathing in and out which is a natural calming and nourishing rhythm are felt more globally Uh, as a Thing the whole body resonates with it, and it seems a shame to to miss out on that. Mm. Now it doesn't mean you're darting all over your body, does it? Like you know, in your nose, now your knee, to be mindful of that. But you're actually you're, because your mindfulness is is posted, placed on a on a rhythmic experience of energy change, then. In that, 
you know, you're, you're aware of your whole body. It's rather like, you know, if you want to feel the temperature of the bath water, you only have to, you can stick your finger anywhere in that, in that bath, and you'll get, you'll feel the temperature of the bath water. You don't have to stick it in every every centimeter of the bath water, simultaneously. You know, just one place, you know, to get the general the effect of it. You know? So in this. By by not particularly seeking a specific point of water of the water, but just the the fact of water, the fact of flow, and that flow and energy is a is a a global experience for the body. Then where you you know just tapping into that, then um, you you get the sense of the resonance of effects, which have. Um, nourishing, vitalizing effects for the whole body field. And also, when we attune to the, the body field, the, body, the energetic field of the body, then we're also in tune with that uh, uh, field which the mind is conditioned by, and which the thinking or the speaking activities are conditioned by. They all arise out of that particular field. Just as when we feel emotionally excited, it affects our way of thinking. When we feel physically tense, it affects the way we speak. When we feel physically relaxed and happy and nourished and warm and loving and so on, then our voice, you know, is it different from when we feel threatened or nervy? You know, it's just they all goes together. You know? So. By doing this, then actually focusing on that that place or that um, you know, the, the energetic experience, then you're, you're you're referring to and cleaning and helping to heal the whole of your body, speech, mind experience. Mm. Also, of course, you you you're also tuning into all of that. This happens whether you like it or not, actually. Um, well, certainly, on one level, one would like to not tune in to some of the effects, uh, um, but it happens anyway. You know. We often think it's because we're not mindful enough, we haven't really concentrated hard enough on the breath, so these thoughts keep coming in. But actually, it's because um, you're... you're Pointing your, your attention to a place which is the 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 which which these traces of karma are reside in. So you do you pick them up. The process of mindfulness is not that these thoughts and moods sh- shouldn't arise, but that one should be able to stay posted in that or positioned in that energetic flow the breath flow, which isn't the air particularly, it's the sense of what, what, what breathing actually do, is felt as, which is a, a rising up, uh, a flowing in, uh, um, a vitalization, uh, uh, and a releasing, a relaxing, a letting go and emptying out. So you get this kind of, this is, this is the this is the loop of it. In this experience, then, um, negative effects, if they're handled properly, can be carried in that particular field and emptied, and you, and uh, or you know, holes can be filled up, if you like. The blank and, and areas can actually be breathed up, breathed in, can be potentized. And the over, the bruised or the, the crowded stuff can be can be cleaned out, and that's a process of um, which can occur with anapanasati. And um, you know, this is really what has to occur before one can really, um, you know, feel that you're going to develop samadhi or whatever. You know, get to anything more sort of uh, clear or or um, Stabilized. This is really healthy stuff. 
So just to consider that you, know, you, that you have a, a central pole or a central axis which is the in and out and then around that you, there's a certain field or a certain um, dimension or arena within which stuff appears, stuff manifests for you. Um, you can, in a way, when you're focusing on, on breathing, then probably you feel the, the general arena is your body. You know, that's where it starts as your boundaries like that, feeling it somewhere in this bodily experience. Um, and what can occur, of course, is that within that, there are certain overflows, suddenly other things start pouring in. Uh, and then you have the, the choice to either say, well, no, this is not uh, relevant right now. You know, it's just, you can kind of say body, just be in the body. Or you can feel, well, actually, this is, this is, uh, this is relevant. You know? And this really you have to feel for yourself as to the kind of quality of intent that's occurring. So if your intent is to is to you know is about um, getting out of all this, or then in a way, because you you know if your intent is just to distract, intention is to avoid and distract. Then you know to to acknowledge that and to you know remember to doing practicing mindfulness is trying to establish this particular um, stability. And it's not good to damage your intent. Yeah. It's the only thing you've got, really. Yeah, it's very important. If you, you know, if you set up a particular kind of in, intention, that yeah, you know, that that's what you're deliberately inclining to do, and you feel you can rely on that. You can rely on that. It doesn't mean that you can always you can always fulfil your intention, but at least you know that intention. You don't just give it away. That may be that you get overwhelmed by something, but you haven't actually, you know, copped out or given away or betrayed yourself. You haven't you know, it's just because you got captured, you got taken over. So we do have some, there's, there's quite a distinction there because if you've actually sustained your, your intention, and again I say it doesn't mean you're necessarily capable of fulfilling it, but you've sustained that, then even if you, when you get overwhelmed by stuff, that basic intent remains as a kind of reference point, as a, as a focal point, as an axis, you've got, you know that. And Quite quite quickly, um, the, the the primary mode of, in, of intention reestablishes itself. As you, you you find yourself back with the breath, back with the breathing rhythm, or sometimes you don't really even get overwhelmed. Just you're, as you're with the breathing rhythm, you can feel particular feelings, sensations, energies, but you're still with it. Now, if you if you give your intention away, or you you then um, it's very difficult to to really properly establish reliable mindfulness. Giving away can so is or or giving up on it is is quite a damaging thing to do. Whenever we do that, then you. In a way, you have to quite clearly acknowledge that you know that wasn't right. That wasn't you know it was wrong, stupid, or made a mistake, and re-establish it. And this is a standard practice in Buddhist practice. It obviously occurs in terms of precepts, which again we intend to keep precepts. We try to we you know you set up the intention, and sometimes you get blown away. You lose the thread, uh, you know, 
but your intention was to keep it, but you got overwhelmed. You know, you lost your you lost your temper. You know, you just got too sad or something. You know, you got overwhelmed by something, but you didn't kind of give it away. You didn't think, oh well, I think I'll do that for a change. You know, go out and shoot some birds or something. <laughs> the hell of it. <laughs> you know, Saturday afternoon, nothing to do. Get there, go and shoot some birds. But maybe, you know, you, you had that intention and you got bitten by some ant or something. It's like, oh, <laughs> Oops, oh dear. <laughs> and, you, you know, you lost it. And, of course, it's mostly this occurs with speech. You know, when you, suddenly a powerful thing comes up and you blab, um, you swear, you curse, you, you, know, you say something that's not true, vengeful speech gossipy speech, stabbing speech, undercutting speech. I don't need to go on, do I? <laughs> um, the, the, the axe in the mouth, they call it. <laughs> and, you know, you got, you got overwhelmed, you're a bit stressed out, and you lost your rag, as it were. And so that, that, this stuff came. But your intention, you didn't do it for a casually wasn't you didn't give it away so in a way coming back oh, okay re-establish now that's on the level of precepts because again you've, you've set up precepts if you can do this then you know consider it doesn't mean you know this is I'm, I'm going to be able to keep these perfectly forever otherwise I'm going to you know doesn't mean there's no way of re-establishing precepts. So it's not like car- like you know, cardinal sin or or, or something that's un un unrecognized un unredeemable. That's important to to realise that that you can always re-establish, but you can't. You don't re-establish. If easily, if you deliberately gave it away, because it doesn't stick, your intention has got weak, because you know you're not, you know, you know, you're not really there with it, so it doesn't have much strength. Problem is, then you get overwhelmed much more easily, blown away much more easily. What I'm saying is, when one has set up an intent, then. If you lose, if you get overwhelmed, you get blown away, that's okay. Um, because to a certain extent, there'll still be that, your, your intention is still there, and you'll come back. And if, if you give it away lightly, or give it away casually, it's difficult to really re-establish that, and you lose a sense of centrality, a sense of axis. And that occurs not just in terms of your meditation object, which is, you know, thing we're doing for this retreat or this particular time. Um, more seriously, it occurs in, in terms of your precepts, in terms of the kind of feelings that you have about living your life. You know, what are you going to do doing with your life? If you have, you can't establish an intention, then you're not living your life. It's you're you're out there in the water and whatever wave comes along. So, and to have not lived one's life is um, tragic, really. So it comes down to that. If your intention is to, to, to be truthful, to wake up, then you have to, you have to stay with that. And it doesn't mean you, you know, that you're never going to lose the, the thread, but you keep coming back to that intention. And a lot of it is learning from the, you know, we learn from the overwhelm experiences about what kind of stuff we have to look into, explore, investigate. We learn about what kind of resources we need to be able to hold some of this stuff and, and hold it with compassion and explore it and work it out. Uh, We begin to get, uh, a window on the on the kind of things that people at large in general are experiencing, and the sense of you know compassion and 
extends through that. And these are all valuable life experiences, you know, to be learning, to be exploring, to be compassionate. This is vital stuff. This is this is being alive. You know, it's not always uh, an easy ride, but it's it's really living your life. It's being alive, rather than being something like a bit of driftwood that's dead and just floating around in the sea. Just to remember that, that another way of getting it wrong is to feel when you, when you lose it or when you get overwhelmed that you make, one makes more of that than is, is really um, suitable. It's another way in which ignorance attacks us. So, you know, you, you do something wrong, you, you forget, you get overwhelmed. And then you think, oh, terrible, terrible failure, waste of time, useless, you know, can't make it, and you make a big heavy thing out of it. So that stops you exploring, stops you learning, it's, it closes down again. Mindfulness just keeps bringing us back to our basic intent and as as it's one of its primary purposes. And it depends on what kind of field you are um, cultivating or, you know, deciding, like, like scanning or working through. Right now, say we, this is a meditation retreat. So we're doing it like this, using anapanasati, good amount of silence, certain sense of formality, being in this place. So you know, you deal. You, this is your arena. Your boundary is created thus, and you try to stay within that because then, you know, thoroughly staying within that, you're going to be able to learn. Because you've got a laboratory, you've got a fixed place you can observe and contemplate and work through the kind of things that come up. You keep shifting the boundaries, then it's like the jelly never sets. So you you don't actually get a really good um, penetration of what's going on. So another facet of mindfulness is it establishes a boundary that's suitable for that particular intention. It sets a boundary up. And again, a boundary is something to be uh, cared for, to be, has to be supported, um, has to be enhanced, has to be monitored. Incidentally, I'm not trying to nag anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Just these are things to learn for just recognizing how it how it how it operates, how your practice can operate. Then you can kind of use this model, take it into other situations in your life say, you know, job situation or relationship situation, what's the intention of that? What's the boundary of it? What's the honouring of that? What's the respecting of it? What is outside it? What's not suitable for that? Is there mindfulness in that? And it means within that job, that situation, it's going to be the normal flow of upheavals, numbing, overwhelming, losing it occasionally, but then well, you know, the attention, the intention's still there, and we can, we can learn from these things.
boundaries are things that are, are very important for for um, life, for proper life. Everything lives within its own field. Uh, you look at things in nature; they have hab- things. Creatures have habitat. They don't stay out, get outside their habitat. Plants grow in certain places, not in others. That's that's their their boundaries like that. We've got a lot of range geographically for ourselves. Um, we have a lot of freedom in a way. Um, the technology and so forth gives us a lot of advantages in that respect. The problem is that not that you one can forget about boundaries and sort of feel that. Um, you know, like in, invulnerable, or not, or not realise the need for them, or not know how to to you have know, to establish them for yourself, because we've made it such that nature no longer does it for us. I can go to the bottom of the sea if I like, fly up in the air, climb on a mountain, you know, go down a coal mine. And so you know, the, the boundaries of nature have been blown away. Now we we have to establish them for ourselves. Know how to do that, and in probably more more pressing need is in our social contexts and our personal contexts, where you know in days of yore the social boundaries were much much more prescribed. You liked them or not, you know, this is what you are. You, you stay here, you belong to this village, this tribe, you're a man, you're a woman, you're a baby, you know, it's like that. You've got your kind of little role, as it were. And um, if those, there's certain restrictions within that. Um, and of course, these things if it can become rigid and stale if they're not individual, each individual is not, you know, deliberately intending and consenting and, and fulfilling themselves within that. So it's not to say that boundaries have to remain rigid, um, you know, that we can only be earthbound creatures or we can only be this much, but that when you move a boundary or you change a boundary, you know how to do it and you know why you're doing it. So, say, if we could refer back to a meditation topic, then you know when you, you're practicing, say mindfulness of breathing, and you're finding it's tight, it's constrictive. You need something is saying a space, space. You know, it's really tight in here. So you open the boundary to maybe your whole body, just just being your whole body. So you, you can move it. You know. That's a deliberate thing, and you haven't dropped your intention. You know, maybe you're still with that sort of rhythmic flow, or you're still with the larger theme of the practice, and you just shifted the boundaries. And yet, that that was not done carelessly, but done through wisdom. And you can flex them, dependent on what the particular need is. They're so saying, you know, walk, walking up and down, where you've got a rather large um, boundary of a meditation path that you walk inside, you kind of cross it backwards and forwards, you stay within that. Again, if in meditate in walking meditation, if you don't establish a boundary, then it, it can get very sort of, you know, unpro- um, unsuitable. You're just kind of wandering around. is not walking meditation. Unless you, you know, you feel you need so much space that maybe you know your walking meditation is going to be a circuit of Gaia House and back. Okay, you know, a bit more space is needed, or maybe South Devon. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so it's quite nice when you, you kind of long distance walks if you, but not in this retreat. You know, then you make that this you call it a pilgrimage. Then, <laughs> so you, see, you stay within that particular. You, you've you've changed the boundary but you've established it and you said okay now the rules are this that if I'm doing a pilgrimage of South Devon that means I don't get on a boat to France I don't and I stay with it and I keep going through it no matter what or you know and practice with that
see what is necessary. And a lot of these, um, we once we learn how to do that, you, know, you can find a lot of of um, in sharpness, clarity, compassion can be generated within that. Just knowing how to live your life from intent and attention and with awareness. Awareness is the general quality of, of presence. Mm. Attention is, is an activity of establishing a boundary and in, intention is the kind of motivation behind that. Now there are various, um, you know, in meditation there are various kinds of fields of attention you can create. You can create one, for example, the uh, metta bhavana, karuna bhavana, where basically your your field is about um, spreading kindness, developing kindness, loving kindness, or compassion, and you start with maybe this being, or this, and then you can extend that. You know, to others and so forth. You can kind of enlarge that or decrease it, or you, you know, you can so you develop it like that. That's another example of it, of, of how you do that. A lot of um, these are both karma, uh, intention and attention. They're, they're karma products. They're deliberately um, created. They're deliberately established. They're karma. Um, they are relative. They're not ultimate truths in themselves. The thing is a mirage, really, a, a conjuring act, a piece of theatre, um, but. Since we're in the field of karma, then it's better to, to be in a theatre knowing you're in a theatre than not. Um, and if, if you haven't established things, these things deliberately, they get established anyway. And they're chaotic. And they are um, not yours. They're not your life. And so quite a lot of the negative karma that we experience is not because of something we deliberately did, but because of what we've associated with and how our intentions and attention have been hijacked, swept away, captured by these other things. So I think we all recognize one obvious criminal, if you like, a pirate of, of boundaries and intention is, is advertising, you know. You know, the kind of thing you get saturated with as a, as a prime example of conditioning. You know, you will be better if you eat baked beans. <laughs> and so forth. Uh, and that's, and then that's not the worst of it. You know. mm. So there's a lot of that kind of propaganda going on. Um, and one of the Say you know beyond baked beans or trainers or Rolex watches or whatever, the fundamental message is um, you will be better by having something, getting something, uh, a sense object, something outside of yourself, something outside of what you are, something that actually has nothing to do with what you are something you can never really have, something created by somebody else that you can never really have, is somehow going to make you better. And it's, it's an impossibility that such a thing could happen. If it's not yours, it couldn't possibly make you any better. And obviously with, with sense objects, you know, you recognize, well, the you know, the Rolex watch or whatever is going to be, you know, buzz for a week. 
then you kind of flash it at the club. Like, you know, just don't look at the time. Well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the time. You know. And people are like, whoa, you've got Rolex watch. <laughs> but then after a month, it's, you know, it's you know, how many, how many people, how many times do you want to tell the time to people before you, you know, it's kind of worn anything breaks down or whatever, chuck it away. And. <laughs> You know, other things that just wear out sense objects and physical objects, you realize, no, this doesn't make you any better. Yeah. It's confusing. You know, this is a very powerful piece of, of kind of subliminal and, and explicit propaganda. Something outside of yourself is going to make you better. And particularly with sense objects, you know, possessions. It's clear that they are, they are not you. you know? They're not yours. They can't be held. If they are held, their, their charisma, their, their, their glory fades anyway. And the, one of the most kind of damaging things is the, the, the subtext of the message is actually you are inadequate. You're, 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 you need filling up with something. This is going to do it. Now you think, okay, well, it wasn't that, but it will be this instead. So you dart around like that. And then beyond sense objects, of course, there are other things, aren't there? Less less tactile and tangible, but perhaps more more seductive. Status, role, power, position, so forth. Something that you know is kind of given to you, or you know, placed upon you, and perhaps even by other people who keep, you know, giving it to you and saying it to you. After all, you believe it. There's a certain sort of, you know, definition or whatever. Uh, and so you kind of you consent to that, to being that. Sometimes this isn't even something you ever really, really wanted. It kind of just happened. And, uh, you know, people looked happy. You got a bit of approval. Say, so oh, that's, that's what I am. I'm a meditation teacher. Oh, I didn't want to be a meditation teacher. <laughs> So then having been that, become that, then you know the negative side of it is you are always that. This is what your role in life is. This is what you are. Make it work. Do it. Now for, and so you get caught in it. And many of us get caught in these, these roles that we've kind of consented to adopting. And uh, it may be less defined than a job. It may be, you know, a kind of relationship role. Well, you've sort of said unconsciously or given out that kind of message, you know, that that um, I've got it for you. Whatever you want, I've got it. You know. And sometimes you haven't got it. But it's nice feeling that you you're somebody who's got it. People. You know, I've got the knowledge, I've got the love, I've got the, the warmth, I've got the care, I've got the time, I've got the energy, I've got it, you know. And people, oh, I'm very nice, you've got it. So it's kind of, that's quite a pleasant feeling. But then sometimes we haven't got it, and then people come to collect the rent, as it were. Uh, I haven't got it. No, no, you've got it, you've got it, give it me. But, but I haven't got it. No, no, you are the person who's got it. Right, so come on, hand it over. Oh well, you know it's like um, you know, say you you got some bananas, you got a bunch of bananas. Somebody comes, oh, you're the person who sells bananas. You have got bananas, so give me banana. Okay, here's a banana. One day you run out of bananas. Somebody comes, says, hey, give me bananas. I haven't got any bananas. No, no, you're the person with bananas. Give me banana. I need bananas. I really need bananas. I need your bananas. 
Your bananas are the best bananas ever. I haven't got any bananas. They say, oh, come on, I, this is desperate. So you say, okay, have a finger. <laughs> so you give him a finger. You know they're going to suck your finger. Give him a finger. <laughs> so you end up kind of giving bits of yourself away. Hmm. Do you do this? So I find, you know, as I was kind of meeting a little while ago, this was, and so one of the things I could kind of do, having found myself to, you're the abbot. Oh. (laughs) Oh, okay. I I thought I just came here to watch my breath. Yeah, that's very good. Now you're the abbot. Here's a nice little cage for you to live in and, you know, put food through the bars, you know, you're the abbot. So, abbot is kind of like super nanny, you know. <laughs> he who knows all, he who fixes all, he who is all, and, is in, and his whole life, role in life was to be that and enjoys it and is happy and enlightened too. Never has a bad day. This is what you are, you know. So it's lovely having one of these people around. They're respected and loved and cherished and all that. Um, but you think, but actually, <laughs> you know, you're looking at somebody who isn't quite here. You know, or here sometimes, but not. You know, I can do it sometimes. Sometimes not. And uh, one of the things they do is kind of like these administrative stuff you get involved in. And actually, things I just really, I, I don't know. Yeah. I guess it's as good as mine, really. <laughs> what to do about this? And you know, I know it's important, but I haven't got a clue, actually. <laughs> and then, you know, they're kind of. But you are, you are. You know, we do anything you say. You know, but you are. But uh, and uh, just noticing sometimes you know you get so hypnotized by that you say well all right i'll do it i'll leave it to me i'll do it i'll do it leave it to me i'll do it then at least they'll go away yeah. and then then you really get a sense of you, you lost something there you know you, you hadn't didn't have a boundary you you adopted a boundary that wasn't yours or was only yours sometimes. Not to say it can never be yours, but now it's here. Now it's you know it changes. Yeah. And say so in my case, you know, my primary intention in life is not to be an abbot. It's you know it's to be clear to you know to develop more and more realization of what I'm really looking for is understanding. To me, that's about um, clarity. It's about compassion. So it's not, you know, it's not something that shuts everybody else out. And so one has to, in a way, conventionally speaking, define or your act around that and realising that, that the actual conventional statistics of that are going to change from time to time. Because you're dealing essentially with an underlying tone. Just <coughs> as with Anapanasati, you're dealing with an underlying rhythm, then in life you're probably dealing with an underlying intent and you want to stay with that intent and let the boundary of attention mindfully flex in accordance with how that intent interacts with the conventional world. It's a big sentence. <laughs> but you know, getting down to basics again, it's like, you know, if your intention is to to, to say, you know, to, to, to meditate or whatever, then you say, well Okay, that's my basic thing: is to calm down, to get a bit of clarity, understanding, insight. That's the fundamental thing. So we'll do some anapanasati, you know. So that's your little, it's your field. And then, you know, sometimes you think, well, I can't breathe. I've got asthma, or my head's bunged up, or breathing isn't working for me right now. So I'll do mindfulness of the body, or I'll do metta bhavana. You see what I mean? You're, you're your intention remains the same and you shift your boundaries in accordance with what's happening or the, conven- the conventional experience that's coming up for you. And just feeling, you know, this is an important thing to do. 
in order to maintain mindfulness it's an important thing to do in order to 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 also develop the quality of 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 intent you know to to enhance it to make something that is is alive and vital for you and it doesn't become alive and vital through say a rigid localization of attention it comes alive when you can flow and adjust and recognize the conventional nature of your boundaries they're not ultimate truths in themselves <coughs> boundary issues you know, this is what I feel I can do but that's, what's ne- that's what seems to be required there's a gap between the two what, what do I do about that there's, if you like, the dukkha is the, is, the, is the gap between the two you know, I've already got a job, this is happening and then something else is required of me what do I do about that? It, can, I, can I go back to my centre check, is this okay? am I all here on this? am I with this? right, I can extend that can I go back to that centre check, am I with this? no, I'm not with this and not extend it and a lot of it is about this is the where we <coughs> learn to understand or the experience of, of dukkha it's like a you know, we can either respond to that by you know taking it on recognizing if you do extend your boundaries it means you've got to be capable and willing to receive the increase of effects that occur you know the change of effects that occur you're not getting it you know it's going to be there's going to be more stuff in a way if you don't extend your boundary then you're going to have to deal with the sense of disappointment a need was not met a job was not done something that seemed to be required seemed to be asked of you you weren't capable or, or wasn't, didn't seem right to do and then is that the disappointment of that and we lose uh, in t- our intent or we lose stability when we try to avoid dukkha you know, this is where you get yourself in big trouble when you try to avoid the sign of dukkha dukkha is a, is a sign we have to come to terms with so when we try to avoid dukkha then or rather than disappoint I'll do it anyway and you lose balance you overcommit or you overextend yourself beyond what you can really manage or do in order to not disappoint or not let down or not be seen as um, lesser or whatever and then so you kind of overcommit, overdo get blown away <laughs> and get blamed <laughs> or, get, or get established as somebody who actually oh she can do everything, you know, she's already overextended, she likes overextending, so give her a bit more, you know. That's what that's what she's here for, she loves doing it, you know. And then you extend and then oh she's on a power trip. You know, egomaniac or whatever. So you you can't actually there's no way you can wriggle that you can avoid the dukkha. Um, so it's best to to be able to 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 be able to handle dukkha when you still in touch with your, your centre when you've still got your central axis there when you're mindful rather than to drop your intention let go of your boundary carelessly and still get the dukkha anyway without 
the, the sense of centeredness or resource to be able to handle it, which is what, what happens. So often in life we take on something, you know, in that example, something you really can't do, you overextend. The dukkha still is there, and also, but what's worse is your your sense of inner centeredness, inner polarity has become um, confused, and it gets more difficult to get back to. And particularly if you, you know, created karma with that, that is, you've actually established connections, relationships, jobs, and so on that have been based upon your uh, your overextended boundary or your, your or your your unwillingness to to establish a boundary because the way that you know, karma is karma is a is a something that demands more karma is not a karma is something that that either it escalates if you don't reduce it it escalates it doesn't stay it's not steady state experience Karma is hungry for more. It's action. It wants action. It wants results. And so it will keep pulling out. And in this particular karmic predicament that we're in, we're also interacting with the karma of other people, uh, many of whom are out of control. Um, we're all out of control sometime. You know, we all go out of control. Um, cooperating in other people is out of controlness. It's not... Uh, considered compassionate or a wise thing to do. <laughs> yeah. It's like you know, I'm on ship. You're out. In the, you're out in the water. So I I leave my ship and jump into the water and drown with you. You know, sort of rather than stand on my ship and throw you a line. Mm. So this is uh, one of the, the things to 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 just to consider. You know, in in you know, life, in relationships with other people, in what you're setting yourself up to do, because the the thing is that one, if you've established those particular patterns, and many of us have established patterns of fuzziness and not really knowing, you know, not really being centered, not really having a core, not really having taken refuge, if you like, in the, in the Buddhist sense of the word, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, kind of a refuge in awakeness, truthfulness, and uh, humanity, uh, humanity. Then we can have established particular patterns that we then reiterate. A strain pattern, for example, like I'm only really practicing if I get that, that comforting feeling of straining. That means I'm, you know, that's when people say you're making a good effort when I'm in that kind of strained state. You know, one is you get used to you if you've been acclimatized to doing that. Then in a way you start to do it to yourself. Nobody else is asking you to ex- to extend, but you get used to overextending as something that is the thing to do, to show you're really going for it. So you get used to overextending um, and then collapsing. Or you've established something whereby you've got, um, you've become, um, you know, into a kind of, whenever a situation occurs, um, you already feel inadequate. For it, that's a kind of defence from getting taken over. Like if I keep being inadequate, then you know I'll be left alone, as it were, to avoid responsibility. Somebody else would do it. So again, this is something that can happen for us in in a retreat situation, where you know we can all in some something in us feels can feel this sense of just. Collapsing is the best option. It seems like being lazy or laid back, but it's like an unwillingness to establish clear intention. Mm. Steady intention. 
and work with you know the the effects the dukkha the disappointments the losing it the beginning again to really work with that to be alive so you know there's a kind of death that can occur the death either into a, a sense of a false sense of of security by not you know, by, by um, inadequacy or by not extending, not not making an effort, feeling you know, just play it very safe. Or the 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 the, the chaos of of overextending. Both of these you can only recognise not by what's happening, you know, with how many hours of sitting you're doing or whatever you know, that's not it or how many hours of sitting somebody else is doing and you've got to keep up with them or whatever but just the, the, whole, the energetic process that you're in and you, you should knowing for yourself whether you're, you're feeling that sense of being pushed rather than moving forward whether you feel the sense of being pushed being compelled, it has to be done, kind of thing, or you know, the teacher wants me to be like this, or everybody else is doing it like that. When it's you're getting things outside of you living your life, which can never be yours, which you can never can never live your life. So being pushed along, energetics are like that or you get the other side of it is the kind of the, 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 the numb withdrawal which means there's always the, the message is always that um, um, it's not safe so you're kind of holding back you're having to, you're having to hold yourself in a situation rather than you know move develop, grow, trying to hold yourself and in holding yourself you can be looking for particular you know, comfort habits for example personality habits, oh this is the way I am you know, I am, this is the way I am that's just me, you know, my little thing um, <laughs> you know, why do I need to keep reiterating these, these mantras to oneself you know, like kind of my little routines and things that make me me, and you know, all kind of things that are not really that glorious anyway. Holding yourself, holding back, fear of coming alive, fear of letting go, fear of going, you know, into a process whereby one will experience. You know the winning, the losing, and you'll have to learn, and you won't have a, a fixed um, model to be. But you'll be with the rhythm of it. You'll be with the intent of it. You'll you, if you're, you'll be with the, the the primal axis of it, the axis of awakening. You'll be with that primary intention. And you won't if um, you either withdraw or overextend. You, you lose that center point. You get confused. Either it's going to be you measure yourself, you measure in terms of activity, performance, how much you do, or you measure yourself in terms of how uh, you know, stable you, you are how unmoved you are, how unaffected you are. And these are none of these are growth or learning experiences. And we can only really know this for ourselves. Uh, a retreat like this is an occasion, an opportunity to start to learn some very valuable things about intention, the primary intention, mindfulness which has to relate your sphere of activity to that intention. What is the suitable sphere? What is the suitable boundary of attention? 
the ability to to monitor and be clear about that when you're going to extend it if you're going to extend it why you're going to extend it you know when is it suitable when is it not mm. and that um, that kind of supervision is what begins to very uh, quite quickly really establish your your, your energetic system in the field of Dharma, the field of waking up. And then things that happen to you are things that occur for you are, are learning experiences. You always, learn, you always learn something out of them. You're always going to grow out of them. So, offer this for your reflection.